start, I got a couple things I need to say before I really get rolling. Um, number one, uh, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. I'm so glad that everyone is here and that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us. Whether you're live or whether you're online, we are just thrilled. Um, I just took a quick gander. I think we got, I don't know, like 14 or 15 views. Usually there's about two people per view. Uh, online, so I think half of those are my family members around the country, so it's cool. Hi, love you guys. Good to see you soon. Um, the other thing that I have to say, okay, this is what's really exciting, is happy anniversary, everybody. Because four years ago this weekend, we launched Thrive Church. If you uh, saw my Facebook page, there's a picture of our, our trailer with that great big sign that said Thrive Church. You remember that? How many of you remember that sign? Some of you do. Um, some of you remember that trailer with fondness, right? <laughs> um, Dan loves it because it's outside his house. It's still there, but the sign's not out anymore. But anyway, it's our anniversary, fourth anniversary, happy anniversary. I would have loved to have had like cake and ice cream and that kind of thing, but we're all wearing masks, so we can't, we can't do that anyway. So hopefully you'll go and celebrate and have your own. Um, we are continuing our series in James, uh, dealing with real life and what faith is like in real life. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 4. If you have a Bible, that'd be cool. If not, and you have a Bible app, that's okay. You can go ahead and punch your, your uh, uh, numbers into it. James chapter 4 is where we are. <clears throat> and I want to offer just a couple of uh, quick thoughts before we kind of get rolling on this. Um, first, it's amazing to me through this entire series, uh, even when we took the little interlude um, where we talked about emotions, but the thing that, that just astonishes me is that the things that James is writing about, people still today deal with. Have you noticed that? It, people just haven't changed that much in 2,000 years, and yet we feel like we've evolved. <laughs> hey, yeah, there are still parts of humanity that is the same, and we still deal with the same stuff, and we still need God. That's the other message that I think is here. And then secondly, <clears throat> Um, in a world that's so thoroughly marked, or should I say marred, by divisiveness, I'm glad to find hope in these scriptures. Uh, I really am, because a lot of it comes down to, to us and how we're, we're dealing with things. And so let's go into the text and find, um, some, uh, find some hope, because it's been a weird week, hasn't it? Uh, how many of you remember to um, a certain event that happened in the evening, I think it was on Tuesday, and then, wow, things got really different on Friday, right? This is a very strange thing. Um, it's almost like the emotional equivalent of whiplash, I think, because you just kind of abruptly start to stop and change, and I don't think this ride is over. So I want to read through a segment of uh, the first part of, of James, um, chapter 4, I'm just going to read the first 10 verses, um, and then uh, I'm going to offer some thoughts on it. So if you have your Bible, here we go. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the NIV version. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. 
that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. Now, there's a lot of stuff in here. Uh, and um, some of it's not fun, but there's also a famous verse, uh, one that you know, you've probably seen it here on a bumper sticker or on a refrigerator magic, a magnet somewhere, and uh, we're going to talk about that. So let's, let's now pick this apart, but let me give you a little bit of context first. <clears throat> James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Um, he was called James the Just. Uh, he was known for his prayer. I think I mentioned this early on in the series. And so, because he lived in a capital city, Jerusalem, um, he was able to rub elbows with not only Jewish scholars, because the temple was there at the time, but he also would have been exposed to the Greek philosophers, uh, because the Romans brought Greek philosophy with them. So, we often call it Greco-Roman culture. And here we have an example in this book, elements of both. It's actually quite unique. We see both these uh, ideas or these uh, influences, I should say, in play in the book of James. <clears throat> and uh, some of these themes that are going to come out. Um, and the other thing that I have to mention here is that Jewish teachers loved hyperbole. So hyperbole is, there's probably a couple different ways to define it, but the way I understand it here is it's an exaggerated statement to grab our attention or to make a, make a point. So sometimes you have to take the hyperbole with a grain of salt, and you have to kind of get underneath it in order to understand what, what he's saying. And there is a lot of hyperbole here. Um, Jesus was notorious for this as well. We use uh, deliberately in order to um, uh, grab attention and to make big points. And so we're going to break this apart. Let me offer a couple of thoughts as, as we go along on this. All right, so let's start right away in verse 1. Here we go. Uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So right off the bat, he is challenging the people he's writing to, the audience, uh, which are Jewish Christians that are probably scattered, not just in Jerusalem, but scattered throughout the, the Near East. <clears throat> and he begins kind of with this rhetorical question. What, what is it? That, that causes these things in front, of, in front of you. Now, here's the interesting thing. Both Greek philosophy and Jewish wisdom, uh, the wisdom of the rabbis, I should say, um, condemned people who were ruled by their passions, who, uh, who simply you know, went after their, their physical appetites. And interestingly enough, that um, uh, people like Plato actually blamed war warfare uh, between nations um, on physical desires. 
which makes kind of sense. Uh, do you remember the story of, of the Trojan War? And Helen of Troy had the face that launched a thousand ships, right? So classic piece of Greek literature based somewhat historically, supposedly, um, is rooted in this idea that the physical appetite, this beautiful woman, actually you know, started this war. Uh, it was a horrible war that lasted a long period of time. Um, and Jewish rabbis um, <laughs> would say that our physical impulses, our human impulses, actually influence the entire body, not just one, one sec section of it. So you've, you've got this kind of going on here. Uh, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Uh, <laughs> which I, I hope that if you're a Jewish Christian living somewhere outside of Israel, that you're not committing murder. So you get a little hyperbole here, right? <laughs> it's got this, this kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a rough thing. So you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So um, he's not accusing the church of, of homicide, but he's just trying to make a point. And he's likely calling attention to infighting because infighting never happens in the church, Right? And I think, I think um, there's, there's also this idea that you do not have because you do not ask God. There's this failure to understand the source of things. Um, there's kind of, I, I think today in the, the popular term is a scarcity mentality. We don't think there's enough and I got to get what I want and I got to get it from you. And I need to do that by any means necessary. And frankly, I think we see this playing itself out on a national stage. Um, we think it's a difference between ideologies, maybe even between um, political parties. Um, whether it's uh, uh, you know, political or, or otherwise, whatever the parties are that are involved, we think that that's what it is. But according to this, it goes much deeper. According to what James is saying is that, no, 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 there's something else that's going on here. We're just seeing it on a broader scale. There's, a, there's something else that's here. And then in verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. <clears throat> that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. And this is kind of a slam dunk here. This is kind of a, a, a coup de grace, you know, he's kind of going for the jugular on this point. When we do ask God, when you finally get to that point, because here's the interesting thing, eventually we all do that, right? We try to do things on our own power, and eventually we get to asking God about it. And it usually goes like this, oh, God, help me. Kind of this last desperate sort of thing. And, and what James is suggesting here is, here is when you finally do ask God, you don't receive, and this is such an interesting word. He says, you ask with wrong motive. Now, <laughs> What's so fascinating is the Greek word here carries with it the idea of sickness or illness. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it means improperly. Yes, it means, but it also carries with it this idea of illness, sickness. Um, in fact, uh, the term is kakaos. It's where we get the American word kaka. I'm just kidding. That's not true because <laughs> that's not a real word. So, 
Some of you get this later. It's all right. Just making sure you're awake. That's good. No, but the word is uh, kakas, and it, it means sickness. It's just a fascinating, fascinating word that he tucks that in here. And so you might think of it as a diagnostic. Maybe you've been in one of those sets of circumstances where you're praying hard about something, and you're, you're, you're not seeing any type of movement at all, and you're kind of wondering where God is. Well, the question that I think that we all ought to ask is, hey, what's your motive? What, what's going on underneath all of this? And that's not to be condemning, but perhaps God is, is using inactivity to gain your attention about something else. Do you see that? And God will do this. Often, I've noticed. We think it's about whatever it is I'm praying for, and God's like, nah, no, there's something else. Let's talk about motive. And uh, we don't want to talk about motive. I don't know about you, but I don't want to talk about my motives. I just want the holy slot machine where I put my prayer, which is my quarter, and I pull the, and I get the prize. And God's not like that. God's not a magic wand. And so he's often asking us, what's going on underneath the surface here? So moving on to verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? A hatred uh, sometimes against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Okay, we got a little more hyperbole that's going on here. Uh, to a certain degree, but he's drawing a line to make our choice crystal clear. He's trying to say, look, it's, it's either or, it's not both and. Understand this. He goes on, verse 5, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? You see, here's the thing. He, he makes the point in verse 4 to uh, of, of drawing that line in the sand, but then here he makes the choice clear. And I think this is important. There's a bright spot. You're not picking the lesser of two bad options. God wants to be with us. And I want you to hear this because I think this is really important. It's not that God just wants to, he wants to be with us. Not, he doesn't just want us to be with him. Do you see the difference? It's coming from him towards us, not just us towards him. He wants that for us, and he wants that from us. And he, he gave us his spirit, and so we acknowledge it, and we try to live with him through his spirit. And that, in my mind, is a real grace. That's the real gift here, is the fact that we get to live with God day in and day out. Um, it's this idea, that, the kind of notion that, uh, Christianity is about getting into heaven someday. Well, not necessarily. The words in the text seem to describe a God that's living with his people here and now. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm fine with the whole idea of heaven, but frankly, I need, I need God to help me get out of bed in the morning. How about you? And there are certain things that I, I'm going to have to face and that you're going to have to face that I'm going to need the presence of God day in and day out. And, and so there's, there's real grace. But wait, there's more! That's not it. There's more here, actually. Verse 6, he continues to give us more. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So the real question is, how do we receive his grace? And the answer is right there. It's humility. It's being humble. 
Remember that word? It was in chapter 1 and chapter, th- in chapter 3, and, then, and I said it before. Leaders without humility are not wise. They are not worth following, and frankly, they're not with God. You've got to keep that in mind um, as you're facing uh, decisions and, and even in your workplace, think about those. And so then um, James kind of gives us a strategy of sorts. So let's look at this in verse 7. Submit yourselves, whoops, sorry, submit yourselves um, then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, Oh, we like this one, don't we? Well, I take that back. We like the second part of this verse. The whole resisting the devil and the devil fleeing, we like that one. The problem is, is that there's an order to this. You got to do the first part of the verse in order to get the second part of the verse, and we really don't like the idea of submit. It's not American. That's the apostrophe M. It's, it's not something that we particularly like to talk about this. But what you have to understand is when we talk about this word submit here, um, it doesn't mean submit as in defeat or if you're into mixed martial arts, tapping out. It's not that. Um, submit here, at least in the Greek understanding of the word, is to place yourself under the authority of another. So it's not surrender in the sense of defeat. It's in the sense of I'm recognizing that there is one higher than me. Does that make sense? Nod your head so I know you're awake because I can't see if you're smiling with the masks on. Right? So you have this idea of placing under authority. So we recognize God's position, but we also recognize our position. Those two things are, are going on. So you submit yourself, then you can resist and the devil will flee. We're, we're coming into October, and some of you know just how much I love this time of year. Ugh, as he rolls his eyes. Um, again, I love Halloween in the... the well, I, I like the dressing up and I like the candy part, right? What I don't like is I don't understand why Halloween has to be evil. I don't get it. I don't understand why we have to have that element to this. And um, it's, it's not a whole lot of fun when you're driving down the road and you're seeing billboards that you get a tell your nine-year-old to avert her eyes because she doesn't want to remember that when she's going to bed at night, right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so um, I, don't, I don't understand why it has to be like that. And, and some of the, I, I don't typically watch any type of, of horror movies because I just don't want to give fear a place in my life. But I've noticed that there's been this trend that uh, even the, the Catholic priests and the Christians who are trying to defeat the, um, the evil that's in the movies and whatnot, uh, the evil just laughs at them. Well, here's the reason why. You, you don't understand this. You have to submit first and then resist. Does that make sense? You have to do both of those things. Submit first. There is an order to this. Resist the devil and he will flee. Um, and, and what's interesting to me is all of the pleasure that we talked about in the earlier verses here um, comes from the devil. All of those types of um, misplaced desires comes from, from, from that. Um, and so we want to make sure that we get the order correct here. So a little more hyperbole then. Uh, he, uh, he writes, come near to God and he will come near to you. That's true. Uh, I like that idea. 
But then he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the idea of submitting. Again, we're not talking about surrender here. We're not talking about defeat. But what we're saying is, uh, what he's saying here is make sure that you deal with the issues so that you can submit, so you understand where you are in relation, in relation to where he is. Remember, in the Old Testament, God says, be holy as I am holy. James is just coming back to that idea. It's just kind of in spades. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, I'm serious about this. I want you to get what it means, this idea of submitting. Move towards God and be humble about it, for crying out loud. Um, That's what the sentiment, I think, uh, is happening here. And then... Verse 10, humble yourselves um, before the Lord, and He will lift you up. It's it's stated here as plainly as He possibly can make it. Approach God with a certain amount of humility. Now, I think there is a little bit of a wordplay going on. I want to just point this out because I think it's interesting. Um, The word submit here and the word humble, uh, there might be a wordplay that's happening in Greek. Um, submit is uh, hupotasso, and, um, and humble is hupsou, hoop. So you have this H-U-P kind of idea, and so um, as you're kind of reading along in Greek, you would pick that up. And so there's a wordplay that's going on. This idea of submission and humility go hand in hand because they share the same root word. Make sense? So you've got this, this happening here. So there might be a play on word. But the meaning is clear, I think. You submit and be humble. You need to understand who God is and understand that he wants to be with you. You see that? I mean, that's, that's kind of an important thing because I think we spend a lot of our time, a lot of our energy um, trying to get God's attention. Oh, God, if you just help me win the lottery, whatever it is, you know. We spend a lot of time, but we, we need to start in a different place that God really wants to be with us. We'll talk more about that in a second. So, once we um, sift through all of the hyperbole here and we see where James is actually moving, I, I really think that what's happening is that James is holding up a mirror for us to look in, into. Um, and I think what he's trying to point out is that um, we need to look and examine our own hearts. And I know this is the classic kind of church thing to say, but I think this is so very, very fundamental to the Christian walk, the Christian, uh, the Christian life. Um, and, and what he's doing is he's putting out motives, but really that's the sickness. All of it. All of the nonsense that we see in, you know, playing out on an international and a national stage, all of the stuff that we're seeing in our, in our states and our cities, the stuff that you're seeing in your workplace, your own families, whatever it happens to be, it comes down to what's going on inside the human heart. And the fact that we, we tend to ignore that. And like we've seen it all along is that, you know, connecting with God, and that's the word we use, okay? If you don't like that one, um, being in his presence. Or if you don't like that one, hanging out with God, whatever it happens to be. That becomes crucial to dealing with the issue of the heart. We just talked about it with emotions. Now we're talking about it with motives. But the point is, is that it comes down here. 
And, and you've, you've got to understand this. We need to understand this, that it just isn't about us wanting to be in the presence of God, but we have a God who wants to be present with us. And not just in eternity, but today. In the next moment, in the next hour, and in the next day and week and ad nauseum, right? That's the God that we serve. He wants to be with us. And I think when we lose that idea, when we lose the idea of God wanting to spend time with his people, we lose a whole lot of other things. Um, we ask with the wrong motive when we're not in his presence. Or we don't ask at all. That's the other thing. And allow our, our worst selves out. And we fight and we quarrel and we demand our rights without any thought for any type of responsibility. And that's the sickness right there. Is that when we lose the fact that God wants to be with us, we lose our desire to be with him. And so we have to start from that particular spot. The maker and creator of the universe wants to hang out with you. Not just in the sweet by and by, but right now. And the benefit to all of this is the devil flees, which is kind of cool. But you've got to get the order right. It's being with God. And, and I think for me, um, a lot of this comes down to a very simple understanding is that his presence is the cure for the sickness. His presence, when we spend time with him, is the cure. Not a cure, the cure. Because if you've got something in your heart that is the wrong motive, that is improper in some way, shape, or form, that is um, sick, that's malformed, that is moving in the wrong direction, there's only one cure for that. You're not going to find multiple cures. You're going to find one. Those are the things that God wants to deal with. And I think this is important because we've lost this in our culture. We want everything to be taken care of right now. It kind of goes down to the, uh, the, the matrix and the red pill and the blue pill. Which one are you going to take, right? Because as soon as you take that pill, boom, everything will be fine. Or you know, It's not like that. Very often, when you're spending time in the presence of God, certain things begin to change. I know for me, I have certain things that I wanted even a year ago that I don't necessarily want anymore. And I realized that that was God doing a work. God was attempting to teach me some new things. And so it is with people that I know who attempt to, to connect with God on a regular basis. Because he wants to be with you. And that's hopeful in a world that is in desperate need of hope, is that there is a God who wants to actually hang out with you, wants to spend time with you, and um, will meet you. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. The thing of it is, he gets to choose the time and the place and the intensity of it. Um, but it, it will occur. Uh, I know far too many people, myself included, that have seen that over and over again. So be encouraged. Let's pray. Lord, we are here in this place. We acknowledge that you are here too. And Lord, we also know that sometimes when we're dealing with the, the day in and day out of real life and the pain of it and the emotion of it and sometimes even the joy of it, Lord, we ask for things with the wrong motive. 
And that really it comes down to a matter of the human heart. And um, some of us have some, some places in our heart that we really don't want you to see. But the truth is you see them. You see them anyway. And the beautiful thing is you love us despite them. And Lord, I pray that um, every person here would um, take the words here seriously of James and uh, would translate them to their real life, um, even you know, as early as today, that they would find a way to connect with you, to be in your presence so that um, they can begin to understand how much you love us, how much you want to be with us, and how powerful you are so that we may resist the devil and he will flee. Because we need a lot of that. And I thank you in advance for, uh, for all of these things. Praise the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.